0: I'm looking would you give him a hand this morning? Thank you all very much we uh, We have been blessed to have you up this morning, and uh, we look forward to the, to the next time you get to do it and we we would love to have you. Pre- be a part of our service in the future, in other ways when it's not Adventurer Sabbath, um, just to have you as a, a part of the, of the regular service. So when somebody asks, will you pray, or will you do the, the music, or will you do something, would, do, you, do you just remember what your answer is? Your answer is yes. Okay? All right, you guys can be seated. There are going to be a few more seats up in the front now. that adventurers have, go- have drifted back to mom and dad. If you're looking for a seat, um, if you're brave, you might want to come up toward the front. We have been kind of talking about the disciples. Well, we have been talking, not kind of talking. We've been talking about the disciples for a few weeks. And um, we've kind of worked through the, the big guys. This is the last of sort of the, the four that get all the name coverage. You got Peter. James, John, and Andrew. These are the ones that we know the most about. These are the ones that we hear from in the Scripture the most often. These are the ones whom we know the most stories about. Um, So as we move in beyond this, we're going to be carrying you on forward into some of the other lesser-known disciples, but hopefully you'll get acquainted with them and enjoy the the conversation as we do. Um, Who's the last man standing among the disciples? John. John the Revelator. He lives... ...to almost 100 A.D. We're not sure, 98, 102, depending on who's counting. Um, But he lives to that turn of the century. He sees the Christian church from birth into that uh, sort of young, fast-growing age. And as it begins to mature and as it starts to come under persecution, um, he dies right at the end of that century when, just before his death, Diocletian tried to, to destroy the Christian church... Diocletian promised that he would destroy Christianity before he died. He died, Christianity lived on. Um, it tends to be that way throughout history. There have been a lot of people who predicted the end of Christianity, and it's still here, and mm. most of them are not. This morning, um, the, the kids read a, a short passage from Revelation. There's another one on the screen. It's just the end of Revelation, chapter 21, verse 2. One of the last visions that you see in Scripture, and for certainly the last vision of John. Then I, John, saw the holy city, of the New Jerusalem coming down out of heaven from God. Do you realize what that is? That's the closing scene of the sin problem. I saw the holy city of the new Jerusalem coming down from heaven. That's the end. That marks the, the, the last day. Things are over. The mess has been cleaned up. Things are going to be done now. The holy city of God is now present on the earth. And John gets to witness that prophetically. So there's a lot of ways in which John is the last man standing. He sees the last day of this mess prophetically before he dies. He's seen things that are yet to come, but are the last things. And so as we uh, just talk a little bit about John, I want you to bow your heads with me, please, and join me for a word of prayer. Father, we are grateful to be here, grateful for the kids this morning, and we ask that you would bless them as they grow, to always know you love them, to always have you as the director of their life, to hear your voice loudly and have the fruit of the Spirit represented in all that they do, we pray the same things for ourselves, and we pray that this morning we would hear from you by the power of your Spirit, your presence, in Jesus' name, Amen. So, John the beloved, born in the early the first century, brother of James, son of Zebedee and Mary Salome, father's father is uh, father Zebedee and uh, mother's Mary of Salome. This is one of those Marys. You've got to watch your Marys in the Bible, your Johns and your Jameses and your Marys. get all confused if you're not careful. So this is Mary Salome, the mother of James and John. So one of the Marys, you'll catch her a couple of different times. Uh, she's sometimes Jews, but the first name, sometimes the second name when you're talking about her. In the family fishing business, partnered with Peter and Andrew, author of five New Testament books. These are easy ones, right? Most of them have his name on it. And last, died of natural causes around 100 A.D. This is the only disciple to die of natural causes. The only one to die of natural causes is John. Um, There was an attempt on his life as far as church history is concerned. There certainly was an attempt to, to kill him. They put a vat out, filled it with oil, heated up the oil to French fry 350 degrees and dropped him in it. Now, imagine just preparing for that. Imagine just waiting for that to happen. You know, there are lots of ways to go. Waiting for the oil to warm up for you must have been a really sort of scary thing to do. They dropped him in it. It did not affect him. He came out like the Hebrew servants in the fiery furnace, untouched, unscathed. And uh, so they sent him off to Patmos into exile, get him away from the church, get him out of circulation. And he there received the book of Revelation, came back to pastor the church of Ephesus and died as the pastor of the church of Ephesus and may have been a circuit riding preacher on those seven churches that are in Revelation. Those may have been his churches to oversee. That's kind of the theory on those seven churches and why he was writing to them. Um, First piece I want you to catch with John is this business about being the beloved. He calls himself the beloved throughout the book of John. Doesn't use his name, doesn't identify himself. He just talks to talks about his brother and himself and, and when he speaks of talks about his brother as and himself and when he speaks specifically of himself he calls himself the beloved. There was leaning on Jesus bosom, one of his disciples whom Jesus loved. Now, let me ask you a question. Do you assume Jesus had favorites? We're not really sure, are we? Because you have the 12. You have the 70. You have the 3 and sometimes 4. Andrew sometimes get in, squeezes in, I think, on, on Peter's tails, shirt tails. But then you have John. John the Beloved. John is the guy who's leaning on Jesus at the Last Supper. Does Jesus have favorites? Do you have favorites? Are there people that when you meet them, you know you're going to get along? Is that because they're your favorites? Or is that because you just recognize something that the, the two of you connect? Is it possible that perhaps Jesus and John just connected? That there was a personality connection between the two of them? Is it possible... That these this Son of Thunder specifically seemed to, seemed to relate to Jesus well, seemed to connect with Him? Well, I don't know. I know that Jesus loved all of His disciples, right? Scripture certainly speaks of Him loving all of us. But He keeps calling Himself the Beloved. Then she, this is speaking of after the resurrection, when uh, Mary, the other Mary, one of the other Marys, Mary Magdalene, comes running. She ran and came to Simon Peter. And to the other disciple, whom Jesus loved, and said to them, They have taken away the Lord out of the tomb. The other disciple, whom Jesus loved. John's testimony about us in Revelation, though, says of Jesus, To him who loved us and washed us from our sins in his own blood. Are you concerned that Jesus had a favorite Are you worried about Jesus having friends? So are you comfortable with the fact that Lazarus was his buddy, Peter was his right-hand man, and John may have been his favorite, but he loves you too. Are you okay with that? Now, now, now it, those of you who have siblings, now you got to stop and think about this for a second. Those of you who have siblings, do you have somebody who's the favorite who wasn't you? In second grade, I was Mr. Perry's favorite. I knew it. Everybody else in the class knew it. That's why, that's why God made me go to third grade and meet the other teacher. But I was Mr. Perry's favorite in second grade. No question about it. I don't even know how I knew it. But I did. I was a second grader. How did I know I was the favorite kid in the class? But I did. I just got an extra look, an extra pat on the head, an extra wink, an extra, you know, whatever it was, a little bit of encouragement. I don't know what it was, but I always knew I was Mr. Perry's favorite. I I remember the name of my second grade teacher. I don't remember the name of my first grade teacher. But I remember Mr. Perry. Have you ever been someone's favorite? Are you a best friend for somebody? I hope you can say I'm a best friend for someone. That relationship, that connectedness. Didn't Jesus need somebody whom he felt especially close to? So let's not just hack on John for being the beloved. Let's say, good for you, man. Awesome. And next time you're at Christmas and you look at your little brother and there are three packages for him and one for you, say, good for you, man. In our house, all our kids think Spencer's the favorite. I think it's because everybody buys Spencer gifts. Spencer, if you hear this, now the, top, the, the news is out. Just all of his brothers and sisters think he's the favorite, so everybody buys, buys him a gift. I think there's a benefit of being the youngest. <laughs> so let's talk about John's walk with Jesus. We're gonna, we are gonna we have so much to cover with John that we couldn't possibly cover it all, so we're going to go just... Just a real highlight reel of the highlight reels. So we'll talk a little bit about him walking with Jesus. He's called, called with his brother James, Peter, and Andrew while fishing in Galilee. You remember the story, right? Jesus is walking by Galilee. He sees Peter and Andrew, calls them to become fishers of men. Walks a little further. Their partners are parked, are, are docked nearby, or have their boat drawn up on the shore nearby, and he calls these other two brothers, the sons of thunder, James and John. He's present at the transfiguration of Jesus. Now, I want to stop on this one for a second. Transfiguration of Jesus was a pretty big event. We mentioned it before when we talked about these guys before, but just don't let this slip away as something kind of minor. It's a pretty big deal. In fact, if you look at what Mark says in Mark 27, he kind of ties it together for us. This is where Jesus says, I tell you the truth, there are some standing here that will not see death till they see the kingdom of God. Now, I'll stop there for a sec. That's the end of verse 27. I've pulled the little verse marker out. There are Bibles where there's a, a new title here, and the next thing says transfiguration. And if you saw this, and you read this, and you didn't read this, now it came to pass as part of one piece, it kind of messes with your head. As a, as a young believer, I read that passage, but I tell you the truth, there are some standing here that will not see death Till they see the kingdom of God. Now I don't know how I got heard instead of here. I normally just copy these things and paste them. But there it is. I read it and I went to my pastor and I said, wait a second. Those people are all dead. How could it possibly be that someone would be seeing the kingdom? And my pastor said, I don't know. Now, at the time, I thought, how could he not know? Now I understand. That will sink in in a minute. He hadn't apparently been thinking this through or caught him off guard or something, but I was really thrown by the idea that these people hadn't seen the kingdom. But both here in Mark and in Luke, it takes you to the next step. Now it came to pass about eight days after these sayings. He takes Peter, James, and John and goes up the mountain. So here's what I wanted to say about it. We're introduced to what's going on. These people are seeing the kingdom come. Peter, James, John go up the hill and they see the kingdom come before their death. So the transfiguration is a huge deal because it's, it's like the first installment of the actual kingdom of God viewed by human beings. Up on the mountain by themselves, Jesus is talking to Elijah and to, and to Moses But it's the first installment when they see Jesus transfigured into a heavenly being. The disciples see Jesus. These three disciples see Jesus transfigured into a heavenly being right in in front of them. So don't let this be a a little thing that you pass over in Scripture. It's a big deal that this took place. And and I want you to hold on to this with John because we're going to move through his life and catch him in this again. But understand, he's... See the kingdom of God come. It's a pretty big deal. Now the problem is, you know, we've we've read it, we've seen it before, and so in some ways it just kind of gets the whole hum shrug. hmm? Keep trying. He's called the Son of Thunder. Peter and John, after Jesus called them this, went down immediately and bought black leather jackets and had this embroidered on the back. <laughs> Sons of Thunder. And forever when they walked around with, the, with Jesus from there on, there were black engineer boots and the black jacket that said Sons of Thunder. Sweaty hot days, doesn't matter if you got the Sons of Thunder jacket, you wear the jacket. Because this identifies you. They are called the Sons of Thunder but not without reason. We talked about this briefly with James. His disciples James and John saw this, saw that Jesus was being rejected by some Samaritans, and they said, Do you want us to call down fire to consume them? I told you, I love the fact that they think they could do this. I love the fact that these guys think they could actually call down lightning from heaven, just like the prophets had before. They they really think that they got something going on, but Jesus turns and rebukes them. He rebukes them and he says, you don't know what spirit this is that's driving this. Now, can I stop for a sec and say, sometimes you want to do what you think is righteous for the wrong reason. And if you're doing righteous things for the wrong reason, you're doing unrighteous things. Ever told somebody they needed to, be, to straighten up or fix something that you hadn't even fixed yourself? You ever told somebody they need to straighten up and fix something because you just were kind of angry and cranky at the moment? You ever stood up for Jesus and he wasn't standing next to you? That's doing a righteous thing for the wrong reasons. The disciples thought these Samaritans have done terrible things. We need to straighten this out. We're going to call down fire from heaven and fix this right here. And Jesus stops and rebukes him. He says, You don't understand what spirit this is coming from. Be careful that the actions, especially the actions that are strong like this, are coming from the direction of the Holy Spirit. Because it's real easy for another spirit to lead that. Your own anger, your own crankiness, your own the violence you grew up with as a child. doesn't matter. We talked about this before as well. This gets into us and comes out of us. And it's not directed by the Spirit of God. He's present for the resurrection of Jairus' daughter. he's present for the resurrection someone was dead and he saw them come back to life dead came back to life big deal right this is a huge deal. He saw somebody raised from the dead. He's there in Jairus' house. So you remember the story? Jairus comes and he says to Jesus, you got to come to my house. you got to lay your hands on my daughter. Raise her up. She's getting sick. She's she's facing death. you got to come. And then as the crowd is working its way through Capernaum, as they're working toward his house, a woman stops Jesus. You remember the story? He's had an issue of love for 12, 12 years. She touches the in his garden. Jesus stops the whole crowd who touched me. You remember the story, right? And this story's going on. This poor guy is like, come on, come on, come on, come on, come on. She doesn't have much time. Somebody comes to his house in the middle of that moment. As Jesus is is ADD distracted with this other person. And says, well, don't bother the master. She's dead. Do you know what Jesus says? while he was still speaking, while the person is still saying, "Uh, uh, don't bother him, she's dead. Jesus, while he was still speaking, someone came from the rulers of the synagogue's house and said, your daughter is dead. Why trouble the teacher further? As soon as Jesus heard the word that was spoken, he said to the ruler of the synagogue, do not be afraid, only believe. Now here's John, about 50 years later. Standing beside a fire with a big pot with a bunch of oil in it, and the fire's cranked up, and he's tied up waiting to get in the fire. Wait to be dropped into the pot. Waiting to become a french fry. Do you think these kind of words were important? Do not worry. Only believe. Amazing things can be done when Jesus is involved. Do not worry only believe he permitted no one to follow him from there except Peter, James and John the brother of James <laughs> you notice he he's still identified as James' little brother they get to the house Jesus says she's not dead the mourners who are gathered around make fun of Jesus for saying she's not dead they go upstairs they find this little 12 year old body you know how big is a 12 year old girl they range kind of somewhere in there? They see this little 12-year-old girl. She's cold. She's quickly assuming the temperature of the air around her. She's starting to stiffen. She's, she's turning that gray-blue color that a person turns. The disciples, Jesus, and the parents are in the room. And Jesus says, little girl, she does. And she gets up. She gets off the bed. She regains her color. Her heart starts to beat. Breath starts to enter her body. She begins to warm up all by herself. She flexes, moves, eyes open, and Jesus says, you need to feed this little kid. She's been sick for a while. She's probably hungry. Get her some Cheerios. He was there when a dead person came back to life. When you've seen that, pretty much nothing's going to really get a hold of you, I don't think. When you've been present for something like that, you can stand in the face of a lot of things. You can see a lot of terrible stuff happen and still know that Jesus has it. This is why the testimony of the scriptures is there, so that we can see that dead people can live again. So we can see that sickness isn't the isn't the the death knell of all of us. That we can see there will be an end of sin and sorrow and suffering. That's what the testimony is about. John was there. He saw Jesus transfigured into a heavenly being. He saw a little girl who was dead start to breathe again. He was there. He was present at the Last Supper. When they start to to paint the picture, they had to paint John because he was there. In fact, he... And Peter had been sent ahead to set the table and prep the place. I think that's when he picked his place to sit. You know? He kind of set a table. He kind of figured out where Jesus was going to be. So when everybody came in the room, he sat down. Because he knew where Jesus was going to be. Because we understand that he was there leaning on Jesus. Leaning on Jesus the disciple who Jesus loved is the only person we know who, know of who heard the heartbeat of Jesus. How cool is that? He's leaning on the Messiah close enough to feel Him breathe. Close enough to know the warmth of His body. To hear His heartbeat. To catch the words that are murmured not really stated. He's that close to Jesus. Is any of this... A, this is cool stuff to me, but I'm a preacher. Lots of things are cool to me that aren't cool to everyone. This is very cool to me. He's leaning on Jesus. He's, at the Last Supper, John is leaning on Jesus. Remember, they lean on each other around the circle and eat with one hand. He's the guy leaning on... present at the cross he's the only disciple present at the cross everybody else has run away everybody else is hiding for fear and this guy has the courage to be present when the Messiah is dying a few short hours before he can feel his breath Hear his heart. Now he watches him die. I hope the words spoken to Jairus ring through his ears. Don't worry. Just believe. you saw the little girl, I've told you this can happen. Hang in. Hang on. Maybe most amazingly, he becomes the adopted son of Jesus' mom. When Jesus saw his mother and the disciple whom he loved, he said to his mother, Woman, by the way, when you hear Jesus speaking, To his mother and calling her woman, don't take this the way we do it now. We this is not woman. You know this this is not in any way a negative commentary, a negative statement. This is this is just a description of her as a female, lady, ma'am, miss, woman. Behold your son. Then he said to the disciple, whom he loved, Behold your mother. And from that hour, that disciple took her to his own home. I don't know what Jesus' brothers and sisters were doing, but Jesus trusted John with his mother more than them. We know the conversion came kind of late for those guys. And maybe they weren't really ready for what was coming. What kind of life did this guy live? would you would you be at all interested in this? I mean, I mean, seriously, would you want? To be this close to Jesus, so close to Jesus that he thought you were the best keeper of his mother when he died. Would you want to be so close to Jesus that you were leaning, leaning into him when he's eating his last meal on earth? Would you want to be such a close friend of Jesus that when everybody else left, you'd be standing around that See, isn't this kind of the ultimate view of discipleship? Kind of the goal for us? Kind of, I wish I could be like that guy? Peter ends up being the leader of the church. It's not John who is the leader of the church, it's Peter. John ends up being the last voice of those who saw Jesus personally. Would you want to be this guy? Would Would you want to have that kind of a relationship? How... How do you go about getting to that place? I think we've kind of seen it. What was it that was going on with this guy? He, he got to see the end game. The holy city coming down from God out of heaven. It's Be present with Jesus. And, I, and that's easy to say, but think about it. Just be present with Jesus. You want a relationship with Jesus like John? Hang out with Jesus like John. Be present with Jesus. Be there day in and day out. When he's having his good days and his bad days, be present with Jesus. Just be there. Look at the life of John. Look at the life of Peter. What's going on with these guys? We know they're not all that special. We look at them. They're a bunch of fishermen. This is not an educated crowd. This is not an uplifted crowd. It's not a wealthy crowd. It's an ordinary bunch of blue-collar guys. What's making them stand out? They're hanging out with Jesus. It's what people will say about them when they're noticing miraculous things at their hands. These guys were with Jesus. When they notice their courage, these guys were with Jesus. They're just present. Sit with Jesus. Sit down. Cozy up. Sitting there, so close to Jesus, he can feel him. Ever felt him? Have you ever sat still enough and quiet enough to feel the presence of Jesus? Have you ever sung with the openness of heart in worship at such a moment in such a time when you just felt the presence of Jesus? takes some sitting it takes some connectedness to feel that but you can it's attainable I was in a pastor's meeting I was sitting about where Doug is sitting right now the pastor's meeting was half the size of this gathering no one could have planned it but the Holy Spirit a ministerial director had arranged for three pastors to get up and give short testimonies. The first one got up. He was a, a, relative, a, a, a relative of the White family, one of the great-great-grandsons, I think it was great-great, of James and Ellen. He got up and he said, I have very recently been at the edge of survival. Ministry, certainly. Spiritually. Emotionally. My marriage, on the edge. I have to tell you, two things are true of preachers. We're rarely short on what we have to say, and we're rarely that vulnerable in front of the crowd, of other preachers particularly. But he laid it out there. And the next guy got up, the guy who founded this church, and he said, we haven't talked. But I'm telling you, I was on the edge. Every part of my life seemed to be falling apart in the stress and the struggle and the hardship. I was on the edge. third guy got up and said the exact same thing and none of them talked to each other. The preachers, are those of us in the room or getting a pretty clear message from the Holy Spirit. The last guy that got up, he had been a pastor, had been forced out of ministry by some incidents, still in question of whether they were any of his fault. And he said, These are the things I miss. These are the things I don't miss. These are the things you shouldn't miss. About being a pastor. We're staggering from what's gone on in the last hour. We stand up and we sing a song. Familiar song. We're singing How Great Thou Art. This was, man, 20 years ago plus. We're all standing. I have my eyes closed. I worship better with my eyes closed. And I have this feeling of the presence of God. Now, 20, 25 years ago, nobody did this in church, in the Adventist church, right? At least not in the white Adventist church. And there's a pretty white group But I have my eyes closed, and I can just... It's almost like God is saying, lift your hands, you dummy. And I'm like, I'm having this little struggle with God. What if somebody sees me? These guys have just poured their hearts out. I'm worried about raising my hands. But there was just this powerful presence of God. And as I'm singing this song, I just tattooed. So I lifted up my hands. I don't... I remember much about it other than that. My eyes were closed, my hands were up, and I was a little freaked out about the whole thing. And as this song came to an end, somebody started to pray. I have no idea who it was. I don't know who was singing. I don't know anything about that. I was in another place. And as I opened my eyes at the end of the prayer, there were 150, 175 pastors with their hands in the hands. I'm not saying that to glorify or whatever, mystify, hands in the raising or anything, but I'm telling you, in that moment, you could feel the presence of God. In a moment when you're listening, quiet and tuned to what God is doing, you can hear and feel and know the presence of God. It is accessible to you. It is real, and it will happen for you if you can quiet and listen and pray. Let God speak to you. And then when it came, and the chips were down, and the loud disciples, and the brave disciples, and the zealous disciples, and even his big mouth brother were all gone. There's one disciple standing at three. One who was so close to Jesus that he would testify that he knew he was loved. Knowing he was so loved by Jesus, he was willing to stand there while he died. These things are not out of our reach. These are not superhuman activities. These are the things that a disciple gets to do. Be present with Jesus. Sit quietly, close to Him. Stand when it's right to stand. When it's hard to stand. That's discipleship. That's followership. That's the call on the life of the believer, you and me. Before I finish, I want to ask those, who, if you're not a believer, if you come here today and you're saying, I don't know about this thing, I'm kind of in the middle, not this, I don't know, I'm kind of trying to decide. All of the world tells you that the great life, the fun life, the wonderful experiences are outside of a relationship with Jesus. They are not. The amazing stuff happens where Jesus is. It's the line. Father, we accept that we are broken. That it's hard for us to even understand what it means to trust You and follow You and be with You and to listen. But we long to have the relationship with You that shouts in our heart. That we are loved. That we are so loved. Father, we desire a walk like that of these disciples. We know they were weak. We know they were broken. We know they made lots of mistakes just like us. We pray that we would be open to hearing your Holy Spirit's leading. And not just hear, but act. In Jesus' name.